This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. You are here because the outside world rejects you. This is your family. I am your father. You are my eyes and ears. We've been waiting for you, Miss O'Neill. There is a new enemy. Freaks of nature. Together we will punish these creatures. What the heck was that? Looked like sort of a big titan in a trench coat. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tim, former GameStop employee. This is episode 197. I am Tim, that former GameStop employee, and joining me, as always, is Dane. Dane, what's up? Are you sure you're, you're that Tim that was the GameStop employee, Tim? Mm, you know what? I better <laughs> fact check that and make sure yeah. I am actually that employee, because I'm sure there are other Tims. <laughs> yeah. That <laughs> but am I that Tim? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd like to see a pay stub. <laughs> <laughs> at least three pay stubs <laughs> you know what the, when I worked at Toys R Us before GameStop there was another Tim who was there he was part of this uh, program for people I, I forget exactly what it was but um, he was coming maybe once once a week and something happened where he didn't acknowledge or greet the customers right or didn't provide the best customer service that you're supposed to at Toys R Us. I think it was, sure. it was a secret shopper. That's what it was. Oh, okay. And since he technically wasn't an employee of Toys R Us, and when the secret shopper filled out the report of the of the person who helped her, it oh, was Tim. No. And so <laughs> I kind of got <laughs> in trouble for it at first. Where I had to get talked to. I was going to get written up. But then it was later found out that it wasn't me. It was, in fact, <laughs> the other Tim who was there. <laughs> Oh, so so for like a couple of days or whatever, you're like, what? I I, I don't remember any of this. Yeah, they were telling me. I was just like, man, I do not recall this happening. <laughs> I was yeah. like, sure. It wasn't that other Tim who was here. <laughs> oh, so they they couldn't. They pretty much couldn't do anything because the other Tim wasn't 
a Toys R Us employee. Mm. Correct. So he's yeah. like, a, oh, I see. Yeah, it was just one of those circumstances where out of everyone who was there, he was the one that that secret shopper <laughs> decided to ask for help and do the whole <laughs> secret shopper checklist thing. So I, I, <laughs> no surprise here, Tim, uh, had trouble in high school. I Uh-oh. was getting bad grades, right? Slacking uh, off. Being... <laughs> slacking, you know, as you do. Right. As you do in high school, yes. Yeah, so uh, I lost credits, and uh, a way to make up credits was to go to the, uh, this after-school thing. Or, not after-school, you would leave halfway through the day, and you would go to this place. It was a music school. Okay. And they they teach you how to play guitar, or teach you how to play bass or drums or whatever, teach you how to read music. Um, but they didn't, I don't know if they didn't have my name correct or the teacher just didn't remember my name because he would always call me Lance. Lance. (laughs) And everybody called me Lance. Um, I don't know how that happened. Um, but anyway, they, they would group you into groups. So let's say you played drums right so you uh, would get you would get paired with a guitar player and a bass player right and they would post the 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 the, the list of groups on the wall and i'd be like okay so where's dame like i can't find dame you, you know where's my group right i'm lance here <laughs> I totally <forget. laughs> oh man and did yeah. you play that up where the whole time you were there you never corrected everybody and you're just always Lance. Yeah. So what happened was, <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> what happened was, like, I didn't say anything for. I want to say like three months. I didn't, or, yeah, three months. I didn't say anything, and at the end of the quarter, uh, we had a performance for our parents, right? Mm-hmm. And my parents talked to my teacher. And they were like, oh, you know, or he, he, he was like, oh, you know, Lance is doing very, very well. You know? <laughs> and it's like, wait, I think you have the wrong parents. It's like, no, no, that's Lance, right? And he points at me and he's, and then he's like, and then my parents are like, no, his name is Dane. So for three months, I went as Lance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. If only yeah. you have that parent teacher night or whatever you could have played it out for your whole time there <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah that's I, I don't know why i just didn't say oh no my name is dane <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah so for three months i went as lance i, I was known as lance well can i start calling you lance now on these yeah. episodes <laughs> well everybody always messes up my name i always get dean James, uh, Shane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The weirdest one for me, I get messed up. You know, Tim, Jim, you know, that's yeah. understandable. Sure. But sometimes a lot I find I get mistaken for Ken. I was like, Ken, Ken. really? Yeah. <laughs> so so you say, like, oh, hi, my name is Tim. And they'd be like, oh, hey, Ken. Yeah. Or like, sorry, Ken. What was that? Or you'd Ken? be at, 
I'd be like a, ordering some at a Starbucks or fast food place, and they ask for your name. Yeah. And I, they print it out on the receipt. I get my receipt, and I see it says Ken on there. I'm like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you know, I was, or even to this day, sometimes, um, you know, you go to a eating place, and then um, you order, you pay, and then they ask for your name. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I'll just give them my dad's name, David. Uh, just so that they don't mess it up in any way. <laughs> you know, I don't have to give them, no, no, it's, it's Dane. You know, like somebody from Denmark. Uh, uh, <laughs> you, you know, like the dog. Or yeah. D-A-N-E. The great Dane. Yeah. Great day. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes I just say David. <laughs> <laughs> might as well, because they might end up calling you that anyway. <laughs> yeah. Ah, good times of yeah. mistaken identities for us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but with that, I guess we can go into our Dark Knight Rises minute by minute commentary, which I'm not sure if there's too many mistaken identities in this one, but I guess Selena Kyle kind of went by different aliases. Yeah, was that well? I I guess this this is the the number one case of. The famous case of somebody finally finding out your true identity. So I guess that that kind of works into what we were talking about. Heck, that's uh, even John Blake. I mean, that's not his real name. So. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah, John Blake Robin. Yeah, sure. We could tie it in that way. <laughs> but as always, you'd want to get your relevant media formats to watch this minute by minute commentary with us. That includes your VHS player. You're a DVD player, your Laserdisc player, your Betamax player, your Blu-ray player, soon-to-be 4K player, <laughs> your projector, your Netflix physical media disc, your Blockbuster membership card to go out to the store and rent a copy of The Dark Knight Rises DVD Not or VHS. Right now. Right now. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> for obvious reasons. Well, for a lot of yeah. obvious reasons regarding Blockbuster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, Tim, why did you have to go there? Yeah. Too soon. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I know Blockbuster is still near and dear to all of our hearts. But... Yeah, I've, I've said it once. I'll say it again. Why is it that we we let we simply let that go? You know, when, when we're still talking about coal and stuff, coal miners and stuff and how they're losing jobs. How come we didn't say the same thing about Blockbuster? And we forget about the magical experience we'd have when we go to her to rent a movie. It's, yeah. You can't duplicate that now anymore. And it's that. And if it were to come back, we'd be like, we do it once and realize it was awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, where's the movie yet? What section is it in? <laughs> oh, wait, I see the cover here, but if it doesn't have the blockbuster case behind it, that means yeah. they don't have it. <laughs> they don't have it. I've been there, especially like new releases when they, I remember that happened to me for The Lost World. Mm, um, I can imagine that being a big one. Yeah, there was a bunch of, uh, you know, the VHS tape boxes, but then behind them there was nothing. So, and it it was a whole shelf of of uh, Lost World VHS boxes. So, <laughs> yeah, it was a popular one. See, for those big movies, like all the Jurassic Park movies, it was those automatically buy it i remember 
I would say the first Jurassic Park movie when that came out on VHS, that might have been one of the very first movies. I can't remember if it's actually for, but one of like the first movies I knew the release date when it was coming on video, and I just could not wait to get it because it was a full year, like almost a year and a couple of months from its summer release in 1993. I think it came out on video October or September 1994, so it was a long gap. Back in those days, it took forever for a movie to come out on home video. And I just remember being so excited, counting down the days to own Jurassic Park. That was like one of the first movies that I saw in the theater and then just could not wait to own it on VHS. And it was a pretty big moment when I finally got it. Went to, I remember went to a Costco when back then it used to be called Price Club <laughs> early on Tuesday morning to go get it. But I had to wait at really? night to watch it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I remember doing that for the... Um... I think it was the original trilogy in that um, gold box set. Okay, that was the that was the special yeah. edition release when that first came out on video. Yeah, I remember always asking my parents to go to Costco to see if it had come out yet. I can't remember how exactly I found out that it was going to come out, but I remember go- asking my parents to go to Costco every week to see if it <laughs> if it, if it came out. <laughs> Well, well, back then it wasn't super easy and convenient as it is now just to type in on Google release date for whatever <laughs> movie you want to see when it comes out. <laughs> so I guess I yep. did have to go check every week. <laughs> yeah, and there was another movie too. Was it one of was it Batman and Robin or Batman? For, I think it was Batman Forever. I remember doing that also. Okay. If I could. Yeah, I think it was Batman Forever. Yeah. Yeah, I remember getting that on VHS too. That that wasn't a, definitely as long as wait as Jurassic Park was, but. Yeah. I remember, remember being excited for that one too back when. <laughs> I used to love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, everybody used to love that movie. Then we grew up. <laughs> Now you gotta find really hard to find things to love about. Even though I actually seen some more, at least online and some Twitter people I follow, kind of have more of appreciation for the movie than I do at this point. But I'm glad some people are still able to enjoy it. It's not the whole Batman yeah. and Robin thing where it's just awful, but you can't enjoy it for the like ridiculousness and stupidness of it. But I think there's some elements of Batman Forever that some Batman fans still enjoy and appreciate, which is fine. But I just haven't been able to find those it's probably since 1995 <laughs> for me to really enjoy it. Well, the problem was, for me anyway, is that they were still trying. They were still trying to have a serious Batman, but there were so many camp elements in it. Um, and it was so overacted. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's... Uh, for me, it's just boring. Yeah. You know? It's so boring. I, I think the last time I watched it was, remember, early on when I joined the Gotham Knights Online podcast and we are doing the commentaries for it? Yeah. I think that was the last time I watched it. And we were saying then how it was such a boring commentary to do and how Batman <laughs> and Robin was more fun to do. Because of yeah, that. yeah. Yeah, I remember us saying, like, that, that was one of the most boring movies and worst commentary tracks or something like that <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know if that got released if i'm remembering right 
I'm pretty sure it did, but I don't know. Or maybe we didn't even finish it. I think we did. It just probably felt like forever. (laughs) Maybe we took a break or something. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) But that was before the days of the brilliant ideas of minute-by-minute commentaries. That's where it's at now. (laughs) So before we officially start, I did not forget the most important format. Cannot start the commentary without mentioning your VHS or your DVD VHS converted copy. I mean, the one that we all love, the one that we all watch, the one that will stand the test of time forever, <laughs> regardless of whatever 8K comes out or 12K <laughs> eventually. Your DVD VHS converted copy. That's the one you got to be watching with us right now. <laughs> so Definitive if you got version. that in. We are on the two hour and 25 minute mark or the 145 minute mark. So I will go ahead and give the countdown if you are ready, Dane. Yes, I am. Three, two, one, play. As we're continuing the chase scene with the bat pod, the bat, and the tumblers. Again, how are they missing (laughs) the tumblers? (laughs) Well, Catwoman didn't miss with her shot and took down that tumbler. Thankfully. Seeing the the bat pod turn is always a cool effect. I always like how it looks. Again, there's another miss and another. (laughs) Just destroying more Gotham property. But now these are the heat-seeking missiles. I did like the shot of seeing the bat out maneuver those missiles. I'd hate to be a taxpayer in Gotham. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I always like John Blake's reaction there when uh, he's talking to his father, not his father, but, you know, father about, you know, let's not be talking doom and gloom in front of all the kids right here. (laughs) Let's give a little hope and optimism. Probably a good idea. And that's where we're leaving off. Not, we're just in the, I guess the next few minutes is going to be just a lot of these type of shots of the action that takes place over this final sequence of the movie. Which yeah, is just this long chase, this long chase scene. Yeah. yeah. But we'll it, see it, where we leave off it, next time. It can't beat um, uh, that scene in Wayne Manor. Remember that? Nope. <laughs> How could I forget when it lasted what felt like 10 episodes? <laughs> and dissecting every nook and cranny in Bruce Wayne's office <laughs> in that scene. Yeah. Oh, man. I remember. I, I still get. Uh, chills over that <laughs> yeah <laughs> you just sit back and think about that and all those conversations we've had about yeah. that <laughs> it's a good thing though all joking aside i do like it <laughs> yeah yeah it's good it's good but so anyway that concludes our dark knight rises minute by minute commentary and with that we'll go into our feature topic which is a big milestone feature topic for a particular movie that is near and dear to my heart that it's not Batman a movie, even though we just celebrated the 30th anniversary of Batman 89 last year, this was probably the next big comic book movie to follow Batman 89. And sometimes I don't think about that too often, but it is kind of cool that we got both of these movies back to back and they're held in such high regard amongst comic book fans. And of course I'm speaking about the first teenage mutant Ninja Turtles movie back in 1990. And Dan, I don't know if you know this, and maybe 
listeners don't know, but I'm a huge Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan. I, I might have mentioned that really? once or twice on this, on this podcast. <laughs> it's hard to believe, Tim. This is the first time I've heard of this. I know. Breaking news here, right? <laughs> That's a shocker. Well, so, I, uh, I, I, I saw on Twitter, and uh, you told me that you were going to talk about this movie, and I was just trying to remember it because uh, it's hard to, for me. Anyway, not the diehard TMNT fan that you are. Um, it was hard for me to remember or distinguish the first movie from the second movie. And I'm just trying to remember. Yeah. Well, hopefully over the course of the conversation, I'll, you'll be able to piece together which was the first movie and start remembering it a little more clearly. Because I know you watched it not too long ago. Because I remember there was that, you're kind of in the TMNT phase where you're watching the movies, watching some of the animated series. And I don't know if you, did you start reading some of the IDW comics? Yeah, yeah. The first okay. like four trades. Yeah, okay. So I remember you were watching, you were plowing through all the movies during that time. So I could see, well, maybe since you're not too familiar with them, how some of them can kind of maybe jumble together. I'm <laughs> not sure which one's which, but hopefully I'll clear that out for you. <laughs> but I I do love thinking about that, how that whole TMT phase you got onto was just because I showed you that out of the or out, coming out of their shells concert oh, really? tour they did. <laughs> yeah, that that was bizarre. That was bizarre. Um, it looked like it was sponsored by like, P, like Pizza Hut or something. Mm. Um, just looked cheap, but oh my god, it's so great. <laughs> I love how something that ridiculous got you into the turtles. <laughs> so hey, something good came out of it. It made you check out some great TMNT stories. So there's one positive yeah, from yeah. that ridiculous concert tour. <laughs> It's it's just bizarre, is what I'd say. <laughs> I I almost want them to bring it back, and I want to go to it. <laughs> Man, if they ever do that, we'd have to somehow plan for us to go together. <laughs> I know, I know. You would be yeah. fly out somewhere, go to wherever it's it's at, and it's we just a... experience the awesomeness of the. <laughs> I guess the reunion tour of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles coming out of their show. <laughs> they have to do it. <laughs> They have to do it, Tim. They have to. I know. Let's get a petition going for that. I'd be the first to sign. <laughs> but that coming out of their shells tour wouldn't have happened if probably not for the success of the 1990 movie, which came out March 30th, 1990, obviously. But um, so I just wanted to talk about kind of give it a retrospect of how it was for me seeing it for the first time and just how I look at it now and just appreciating it as a comic book movie that we do some of the more modern ones like the marvel movies and the dc movies and just how i feel it's a really underrated comic book movie so that's kind of what i want to what i want to reflect on for this episode talking about the movie because we've talked about it mentioned it about it here and there but never a full-blown in-depth discussion about why i think it's a classic so in 1990 before it came out see i'm not even sure it might have been 89 but because like I said, Batman 89 came out and obviously I was just obsessed with following that and follow, or getting everything I could, the trading cards, the toys, because as I've said plenty of times here, I wasn't allowed to see Batman 89 in theaters when it first came out. But Ninja Turtles, I was. <laughs> I was allowed to see that one. Maybe because I was a year older and it was rated PG and not PG-13. But I think parents were actually unpleasantly surprised with how dark and some of the things they said in the movie <laughs> what they were anticipating for a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie but 
still, when I saw Ninja Turtles, I didn't see it right away, I remember. Um, I had to wait a few weeks because I remember some friends that I had were talk, telling me about it. Oh, it's so great. You know, I haven't seen it. They're telling me scenes. I remember one scene in particular, the moment, which is one of the best scenes in the movie, where the turtles are at the campfire and they're meditating and Splinter uh, almost becomes like a force ghost and starts communicating with them. And my friend's describing that to me and I just was trying to picture that in my head. Well, he comes out of a blaze of fire or Splinter is on fire and that fire is blue. Oh, I can't wait to see this scene. <laughs> so certain little teases that the friends at the time were telling me just made me more amped to see the movie. But I just, I remember two specific things before seeing the movie and when I actually saw the movie. But one of them that just, I remember it was like a rainy Saturday afternoon. And I don't know why I remember this. That's probably just because I love the turtle so much. And this was big turtle news for me at the time. Or just sitting in the living room doing, I don't know, nothing. But then my dad's in the, sitting down reading a newspaper, which is how you found out about movie news at the time. And he just shouts off to me, hey, Tim, did you know they're making a live action or a Ninja Turtles movie? I go, oh, they are, but... You know, it's not a cartoon series. It's actually going to be done with puppets and live action. So it's going to be different. I want, well, I just remember being so surprised but excited about the prospect of seeing the Ninja Turtles like that. And again, as a six to seven year old, I can't remember exactly what my hype levels were from that time and how it continued until I see the movie. I just remember it felt like a very long time until I got that news and then saw the movie. But when I actually saw the movie, I remember that day really well because we had a garage sale that day and I knew we were going to see the Ninja Turtles movie later. And I just, for garage sale, always got to wake up early, get everything set up and all that stuff. So it felt like a really long day and just a long time before that garage sale was over and we got to go to the movie theater. But just that whole time, I just couldn't wait and just anticipating to see the Turtles movie. I wouldn't be surprised if the money we made for that garage sale ended up paying for the tickets <laughs> for that night going to the movies. But it was my dad took me, my older brother, and then a friend of ours who lived a few houses down our street, who I think just came down to hang out at the garage sale and just happened to ask him if he wanted to come see the Turtles movie with us, and he did. And it was at this theater. It was not the best theater. It was only four screens. So, and again, it was probably a few weeks after the movie came out. So I don't even know if it was on the best screen at that time, but I still remember exactly where I sat. It was about four to five rows down in the corner seat. And I, I was at the end seat and just anticipating seeing a turtles ex or experiencing the turtles like never before. And just how excited it was and just how blown away as a little kid. I was seeing them in live action for the first time, because I don't remember seeing trailers for it, really. I just remember seeing the iconic poster now, which is this them, this, their faces coming out of the sewers. And it says, uh, this ain't no cartoon or something like that was the tagline. And boy, was there right, <laughs> because it was a scene, the turtles and like never before. So different from the 1987 animated series, where it's obviously geared towards more for a younger audience. That's the more jokey and all that stuff. But once you just see how this movie, I didn't know it at the time. Can I interrupt you really quick? Oh, go for it. Sorry if I interrupt. I can't contain my excitement about recalling that. It's okay. It's okay. Vanilla Ace is in this one. No, that is the second one. Second one. Yes. So the second one is the one where they go to 
or uh, Shredder lives in a a chop shop or something. So yeah, it was like almost like a junkyard. Junkyard. Yeah. Yeah. In the second one. Okay. So so who's the big baddie in this one? It is Shredder. Shredder's oh, pretty much the big bad guy. Shred- Shredder comes back. Yeah, he's supposedly right. dead in the first one, but he survived in the second one. Oh, I see. Yeah, so uh, I mean, I, remember, he, I do remember the, I do remember the third one, um, the time travel one. <laughs> yeah, they go, they go back to ancient Japan. Yeah, right? yeah. Don't Which know why I remember that? That one has a bad reputation. I don't remember it too fondly, but. I know some diehard Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fans who are saying, you know, it's actually pretty good. And even one of the co-creators thinks that's better than the second one, which I never heard before. So I should probably revisit that one, maybe on that 30th anniversary. <laughs> but when seeing the movie for the first time, just being surprised with how different it was. I mean, I think every kid felt this way of being so shocked when they heard Raphael curse in like the first few minutes <laughs> of the movie. It was like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, and that's what I'm sure made parents a little upset hearing that because they never cursed again in any of the live action movies or yeah. the, the first three anyway. But it was so different, but I just loved it so much. The way they were brought to life with the puppetry, the animatronics that they're using for the face and the costumes just looked so great. And just the action blew me away at the time. I just can't remember coming out of that theater so excited, so happy, just had a buzz about me for the whole day me my brothers and the friend of ours like couldn't wait to go back home play with our toys or just play as ninja turtles (laughs) ourselves it was just such a great time and just a great movie experience that i had and i imagine that would have been the same if i was allowed to see batman 89 for the first time in the theater but (laughs) it wasn't but god that was the case for ninja turtle so i do i i do remember um you know watching it as an adult and being like I, I do remember the scene where I can't remember which turtle is gets hurt and he's like in a bathtub or yeah, something in a Raphael. country house. Yeah, he's in like upstate New York. <laughs> he's like, I can't remember why he gets hurt though. He gets a, attacked and ambushed by a bunch of foot soldiers on the rooftop, and there's he just so outnumbered. He takes a few of them down, but they pretty much overpower him, and oh. they beat him, and he falls through the ceiling of the roof through the glass. Yeah. And he's just knocked out that way, which I'll get to this in a little bit why I love it so much now. But that's taken directly from the comics. But in the comics, it's actually Leonardo who gets knocked out that way and not Raphael, which I prefer it when it's Leonardo. But at the time, seeing the movie, I had no idea about that. And I always assumed it was Raphael. And when I later learned it was Leonardo, I was like, oh, so this is the movie took it from. But they just switched things around a little bit. And I guess might as well go into that right now because loving it as a kid when you're just obsessed with Ninja Turtles at the time is one thing. But to still have that excitement and hold it in such high regard now, 30 years later, and just ever since watching it, I think that's just a testament to the movie itself. And just what a great job and what I appreciate so much about it now is how great of a comic book adaption it is for a movie and not only just the comic but also blending in the key elements of the cartoon series that all the kids know because things like the colored bandanas that the turtles wore that was introduced in the 87 series because in the comics which i'm sure a bunch of you know 
already is it was black and white, but on certain covers it was or it just had red bandanas. So once they had the cartoon series, they gave them the colors and throwing in the pizza element of how that to be in their favorite food into the movie. All stuff we know and associate with the turtles now was from that eighty seven series, but you lose some of the silliness and the campiness of it and you mix it in with the original more darker elements or mature elements of the comic book series, it just blends together for this great adaption for a movie. And I just think that that movie is so criminally underrated for being such a great comic book movie and adapting uh, the origin for the turtles, because that's something I know a lot of fans, but I'm speaking for me personally right now, when we're going into comic book movies now and it's a character that you're familiar with their origin story, do you want them to, for the most part, pay respects to the elements of what makes their origin so great. But of course, changing certain things here and there and adapting certain things differently. But the core elements are always there. And the Turtle movie does that so well for adapting not only just the very first issue of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but one of its biggest arcs that the original comic series had to all into this one movie that tells this nice cohesive story. I mean, things just from the origin of the turtles is played almost directly from the comic because this is where certain variations of turtles uh, adapt things differently when it comes to the origin of Splinter and the turtles. While the movie version in the, takes it directly from the comic, it's not actually my favorite one because I don't know if you remember, Dane, Splinter is revealed to be the pet rat of Hamato Yoshi and the way he knows martial arts is he would mimic the movements of his master in his rat cage. <laughs> now, I remember. It's a little ridiculous, yeah, that a pet rat would be able to mimic and learn martial arts that way. So, But I do respect that they didn't shy away from really sticking to the source material from the comic and not the 87 series version where Hamatsu Yoshi is actually Splinter. He's a human first and gets mutated into a rat. That version is actually my favorite because it just adds more weight to the character and gives some does the potential for more drama and conflict between him and his rivalry with the shredder and that rivalry is there but it's more i think it's it could be more powerful when it's actually hamatsu yoshi and orokosaki at odds with each other as splinter and shredder which certain the idw comics did a great job of that in the 2012 series which i think did it the best so i that's one element where i, I appreciate they follow the comics but it has been done better in other aspects and different turtle variations but then you throw in things like the first meeting and introduction of casey jones with Raphael and how they were kind of at odds fighting each other that's taken directly from the Raphael special comic issue the you mentioned them going to northampton in the farmhouse um again at the time having no idea that was taken from the comics and a big arc in those original comic series and how they just did a great job adapting it but yet like I said, swapped uh, Leo for Raph in the movie, but that heart and emotion is still there for the concern they had for Raph being knocked out. It was the same for Leo in that North Hampton arc. And just how that has become almost a staple in almost every Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle adaption where they have this big battle, they have their first major defeat, and they kind of have to retreat and regroup themselves in the North Hamptons. And the 2012 series had did it very well, the 2K3 series, which pretty much every episode of the first few seasons were straight adaption of the comics, did it really well. And the movie, obviously, is probably the one that's the most memorable and, I feel, iconic version of it. 
Um, because for me anyway, since that was my first exposure to what is now such an important arc in the TMNT lore, but the fact that the movie did it so well as my first introduction to that, I'll always probably appreciate that one the best. Because it's just really great how I think it was put together where the turtles go there and you kind of see how every turtle is dealing with their defeat and their current situation by April doing a monologue. But yes, she's drawing these pictures of each turtle. And then she starts talking about how they're dealing with, she talks about how Leo is dealing with the, the, with Raphael's current situation, how he's just keeping a constant vigil over him, just sitting in that bathroom, (laughs) as you mentioned, just keeping an eye on him, waiting for him to wake up. Then you get the moment where she's talking about Casey and Donatello and they're having their arguments or they're trying to fix this truck, but yet they're insulting each other using every letter of the alphabet, <laughs> which is hilarious. And I will say they didn't do Michelangelo, but there is um, a deleted scene that is kind of seen, not necessarily seen the light of day, but has been revealed as being a sequence that was cut from the movie, which shows how Michelangelo is dealing with this. And it really just makes me want an extended cut of this or director's cut of the movie. Hopefully, maybe at another anniversary milestone, they'll do it. But uh, there's some, I think, cool stuff that was cut from the movie that would just make it even better. Check out, there's because I first heard about this, there's a YouTube channel called The Old Turtle Den that has good breakdowns of not only the 1990 movie in itself, but some of the deleted scenes and stuff that we didn't get to see in the movie. So give them a little shout out for some more great content on the 1990 movie for some stuff that I've never really seen before, which was cool to get that info from there. So all that stuff. And then the big one, which is taken straight from the comics too, the final confrontation with the shredder on the rooftop. That is where they had the first battle with the shredder in the comics. And that was done really, really well in the movie. It's probably, I don't know if it's my favorite sequence, but it's up there with one of my favorites. I love that sequence. Obviously, I love the whole movie, but that final Shredder fight, the fight in April's apartment's really good. Um, Splinter, uh, that's another thing. Uh, sorry if I sound like I'm rambling. There's all these <laughs> stuff is just coming to my head of why I love it so much. As much as I'm talking about how great an adaption it is of the comic, it just also adds its own stuff to it that gives it a lot of heart. Because at the core of the Turtles, what makes it so good is that family element and the father-son relationship that Splinter has with the Turtles. And the movie really showcased that, not only in that campfire sequence that I was mentioning earlier, where you really see the emotion of the Turtles had for the loss of Splinter at that time, but at the very beginning where Splinter is trying to give Raphael some advice on how to, and how to deal with his anger issues that he has, and just how Raphael kind of takes that to heart as you see later on in the movie, and just the relationship that even though he might not show it to Splinter, but the love and respect he has for his master slash father figure. So they just had some great elements of which makes the turtle. So great to experience more on an emotional level and why you really believe into these characters. So this movie, the movie has all that stuff. I just love it so much, but going back to that final sequence with the shredder and the fight, the fight choreography in this movie, it progressively gets better and better as it goes along. At first they try to not show too much, I think this does kind of build that anticipation up. I mean, the very first action sequence, you don't even see the turtles. It's pitch. They knock a light out. Uh, it's pitch black, and they rescue April from these muggers. You hear the sound effects, but you don't see them in action. Then later on, you see them each fighting uh, the foot soldiers in April's apartment, like I mentioned, where Raph gets taken out. That's a really fun action sequence. But the one they fight 
they have with Shredder. That's where I think really the fight choreography and just the talent that the performers in the suits really showed off their martial arts skills because it's probably not easy doing them in those big rubber suits, but they pull it off so well, especially in that final fight with Shredder with some really cool choreography that they've had. And just again, never being blown away as a kid, seeing that for the first time and yet still holds up to this day. So yeah, this is so much to love about it. And I will even say too, another underrated aspect of the movie is the soundtrack for it. It's, it's a lot of memorable tracks on there from the now iconic Turtles movie themes that will get stuck into your head, I guarantee you, if you hear it. I think I even use it for an intro theme for one of our episodes when we were talking about the Turtles. But it's the intro music that plays when they first review the Turtles going back to the home in, their sewer, in the sewers and you see the title card. And then the Shredder, the Shredder's sweet song that plays throughout the course in the movie which has if you go on youtube and type in like the, the shredder suite it will play up i think it's about four minutes but there's very different so, like tracks in the movie that you hear in that one version that plays over the course of the film where there's a lot of great tracks in there so the soundtrack is really good too and just all this comes together for such an amazing not only turtle experience but i feel a comic book movie experience i just don't think it gets the recognition it deserves as far as being a really great comic book movie and how it adapted from the original comics so well. So yeah, that's why I held it in such high regard as a kid. And then just, I still held it in such high regard. I watched it that this past Monday when it was the actual 30th anniversary of the movie and just bring back so many good memories. And I just still love enjoying that version of the turtles and Going back to how I was talking about, you know, Batman came eighty nine came out the year before, and we got this, ver- and we got another comic book movie with the Turtles just a year after, and it's kind of how what a good one two punch those two movies are for the comic book genre at that time. And going back to uh, that uh, YouTube channel I was talking about, uh, the old Sewer Den, where they put out kind of a ret- their own retrospective version of the Turtles, and it made out a good point is how the turtle movies and the Batman movies kind of follow a similar, similar trajectory as far as where <laughs> the franchise went, where it did go more the campy and ridiculous route. I mean, even in the second one, uh, it goes, well, Batman returns, you can argue was a little darker than this than 89, but obviously with Batman forever and Batman and Robin, the campiness and silliness went up to 11 <laughs> with those ones. And the turtles kind of went, made that progression pretty quickly as much as we fans love that 1990 movie, as I alluded to, parents weren't too happy. I think there was kind of an outcry about the violence and the swearing that was <laughs> in that movie. So the second one did away with all that. No swearing. And they couldn't even use their weapons. They would use, like Leonardo couldn't use katanas, but he used his katana holders as the weapons. And Michelangelo wouldn't use his nunchucks. He would find these um, hot dogs <laughs> that he would use from a vendor and use those as a nunchuck. So stuff like that they really had to lessen the tone and you throw in the vanilla ice aspect of it, <laughs> bringing in the silliness and campiness. And then with the third one, I think the camp is turned up a notch even more. So, so they kind of similar to the Batman franchise started off so great, but progressively went down <laughs> and Batman obviously recovered with some great movies with the dark Knight trilogy, but the turtles movies after that, the, I don't know if you saw this one, Dane, but it was a 2007 animated movie, which is actually in the same you continuity. 
You told me not to watch it, I think. Oh, I, I wouldn't. I would not say that to you. No way. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't you then. Or so. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. Because it's actually a continuation of the first three Turtle movies because they make reference to, to certain items and elements that were in each movie. But the way it progresses, the Turtles' relationship, especially Leonardo and Raphael, is so, so good. I mean, it has one of the best turtle scenes ever where Leonardo and Raphael actually have a fight. And it's just so good. And I think the animation still holds up really well. So that one is still was good. And the last two movies, I mean, they don't have the best reputation. They weren't received well. I enjoy them for what they are. They're mostly an adaption of the 1987 cartoon, especially the second movie. I mean, if you're looking for the 1987 cartoon done in live action, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows is exactly that. And yes, there's some ridiculousness to it. And those two movies should focus more on the turtles than it does April. But that I enjoy the portrayals of the turtles, regardless of how you may feel on their designs. The CG, I think, looks good and is believable. And they did a good job with the turtles' personalities, especially in the second one, which um, really drove home and was the focus of that second movie was the turtles and their relationship. So I give those movies credit for that. But... I still haven't gotten the perfect Turtles movies to follow up that first 1991. I'm still waiting for, you know, for the Turtles to have the Dark Knight trilogy, so to speak. And it can be done. There's just so much great material to draw to draw from, like that 1990 movie did from those original Mirage comics. I mean, the current IDW comics, if you were just to use that as your inspiration for a new series of Turtles movies, you could do so many great you can have more than a trilogy i think you can really tell some great stories and just create a nice series of movies that would have a nice flow to it and just have really engaging stories with great emotional character moments which that series is known for so this and you can draw from the other animated series too like the 2012 version which is my favorite how that respected the material so well but yet did so many new things on its own that became really great so the potential is there, and I know right now they are talking about a reboot of the Turtles again, and we'll see what that sees the light of day. But even if they don't even do movies, I think a great route would be go the Netflix route, a live-action TV show. It doesn't have to be on Netflix, but another streaming service or something. I know even Kevin Eastman, one of the creators, really feels that would be the way for the Turtles to go. So um, right now, that there's some that say that the 1990 movie will never be topped. And maybe that's true, but I think the potential is actually there to do even better than the 1990 movie. And that's something hopefully we'll see, just as the Dark Knight trilogy did for Batman 89. But until then, this movie, and even if we do get a movie that technically is better than that 1990 movie, that's not going to change anything of how great and how special that movie is and always will continue to be, even now. 30 years later i just love it so much as you could probably tell so i guess i'll stop rambling for a little bit <laughs> as i probably talked enough and gushed about the teenage mutant ninja turtle movie so did i jog any memories of that movie for you dana as i was talking about it <laughs> as far as how you uh, feel about it also uh not really but i'm yeah i'm just trying to remember that first movie all i remember from it is uh, Raphael in that bathtub for some reason, <laughs> dying or whatever. Well, that yeah. sounds to me like it's time for another rewatch. Yeah, I guess so. 
but you, you kind of touched on it when you said, you know, it's campy and stuff. I, I think it really, the Ninja Turtles work with the campy. Um, you got to have some of that. There's no question. It does, it, the question is having the right balance of it. Right, right. It, it can't be all serious like the Dark Knight is. The mm-hmm. hyper-realism, okay. yeah. you know, thing. Um, but that's why I don't really criticize. I mean, I'm not a Ninja Turtles fan like you are, but I don't really criticize any of the movies, including the, the Michael Bay ones, because they're wacky. They're written extremely terribly. But they're fun. And I think that that's the point of the Ninja Turtles is they have to be fun. Yeah. Right. That is definitely true. But at the same time, you can have both words fun, but yet I don't know if taken seriously is the right word, but just have that core that resonates with audiences that I think let's, I'm just using Marvel movies for an example. If a turtles movie done right, like stories we've gotten in the comics and some of the animated series, I think could be just, as great and well well received as these Marvel movies are, the potential is there. This the turtle lore is rich with all that stuff. That's the thing that I think they're missing. Some view it just as you got to be campy and silly and not maybe take it too seriously. Maybe as some others would. That's why I think you just got to find the right person who's a fan of the material and just really knows the lore and the potential of what that story can do and just how well it can be told. So that's my hope. Yeah. And plus, I mean, you have to remember, you're watching Turtles, right? Yeah. (laughs) You're essentially watching Turtles with human features doing karate. So fighting a guy that calls him Shredder and their master is a rat. So, yeah, you just got to remember that. Yeah, definitely true. Like I said, finding that right balance, which sure. I really feel that 1990 movie did. And that's why it's still and, and, you know, remember this I, best. I know a lot of people give um, the splinter in the Michael Bay movies, you know, just a lot of crap. But I kind of like that splinter. I don't know why. Um, I, I know he doesn't look the best, but I, I don't know. I just like the, the way he looks in uh, those Michael Bay movies. I never really had a problem with him. And that movie gave me some that no other live-action movie did, but I always wanted to see, which was a Splinter and Shredder fight. But it didn't have the core, like the emotional weight to it because there was no Splinter-Shredder rivalry between Amato Yoshi or Rokusaki, which is central to making a good Splinter and Shredder fight really resonate. So it was it was cool to see, but it was just missing that aspect of the story. But it was still a really cool fight sequence, which I'll always appreciate that uh, first Michael Bay movie doing. So, yeah, I'll, that's my retrospect on the first TMNT movie now, 30 years old, which I can't believe it. I mean, first Batman 89 last year, now Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And pretty soon a lot of 90s movie classics is going to be hitting that 30-year mark, which... I guess the next big one for me would be uh, in next year in 2021 would be Hook. <laughs> I actually just watched that about a week ago. Man, I love that movie. <laughs> it's such it's Spielberg hates it and I don't get it <laughs> because it's such a great 
re- not even a retelling, but a continuation and concept for of the Peter Pan story. And I just love the performances, the visual look of the movie, and John Williams' score, one of his best ever. I'll say that. It's so underrated. I'd put it right, just right below Star Wars and Indiana Jones as far as John Williams' best score. There's so many great pieces in that movie. So I'll probably maybe do a hook, hook retrospective next year <laughs> in 2021. <laughs> You've Why, seen Hook, right, um, Dave? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I've seen Hook. Yeah. It's, it was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. Yeah, I watched that um, to death. Yeah. Um, why doesn't uh, Peter Pan ever walk? I felt like I've heard this joke before. You have, oh, because he um, never lands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I heard it somewhere. <laughs> you probably have. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one, so. Yeah. All right, so I guess that'll do it for our feature topic in my look back at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990. And not too much news to talk about, and unfortunately, not really good news to talk about. Everything that's going on with COVID-19, it's just a lot of bad news, and that's continuing on the movie front. As Wonder Woman 1984 has officially been delayed from its June release, which we kind of all knew it was coming, but Warner Brothers has made it official. And it'll now be coming out in August 14th, hopefully. And that's kind of the other bummer about this. Even the potential new dates they're listing, we can't even take those as being definite just yet because we don't know how long this whole pandemic's going to last. So right now it's set for August 14th. But regardless, this movie is coming out to theaters before digital i think we were talking about that on our last episode how there's rumors but then it was kind of got shot down by patty jenkins and warner brothers and they're doubling down on that the announcement about uh the delay from patty jenkins and gal Gadot, they made sure to point out that this is going to be a theatrical experience when you see it for the first time so uh we just got to be patient and they should just digitally they, they should just digitally release it um and then have the uh premiere I mean, I understand the whole theatrical experience that you know, yeah, filmmakers want the audience that. to have and sure. audiences, but I, for me personally, I always like the home experience more, so I am not opposed to that all, at all. I actually prefer it, but I understand why that doesn't happen. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but I guess we got to wait yeah. for this illness to be over. It's I another know. thing we have to wait for for this all, all of this to be over. I know it just as before we started recording, I know Disney announced their new release dates for all this stuff that um got delayed. Like uh, Mulan was supposed to be out already. That got pushed to July and Black Widow, which was supposed to be in May, is now November. So pretty much all the MCU movies are getting pushed back um after this after the release dates for they were supposed to, because the Eternals was supposed to be November, but now Black Widow, so that's twenty twenty one now. So everything that they announced is being pushed back to another film's release date that it had previously. So a lot of stuff's being affected by, by this on the movie front. And I don't, know, I don't think we talked about this on our last episode. I don't remember if it happened after we recorded, but the whole Diamond situation is just crazy. The comics distributor, just how that's affecting local comic book shops now and how pretty much all new issues are delayed and just on hold and how Marvel and DC are... in. Other studios like Dark Horse and IDW 
how you think they can easily just, you know, put out the digital issues, no problem, but how that's going to affect local comic book shops. I mean, it could be the end of comic book shops almost. And it's just crazy to think how it's coming to this and just how these comic book distributors and publishers are going to handle the situation. I, I believe right now, the last thing is that Marvel and DC anyway are delaying their titles for digitally and obviously physically until this situation gets resolved. So this every aspect on the entertainment field, I know it's kind of not when we're talking about entertainment stuff, it's not the most important thing, obviously when talking about this pandemic, but just showing how everything is being affected and just the normal stuff that we're used to getting. It's how everything is different now and just how, but you said, we just got to be patient and get through this because in the grand scheme of things, these are so little, but it is as fans of all this stuff and as people who do podcasts about it, it's just something that we have to get used to and make it through these different changes that are happening uh, before. So it is just, it's just different, different times. That's for sure. So yeah, I'm plus two. I'm, I'm sure that comic shops aren't essential businesses, right? Exactly. Um, so most of them probably yeah. aren't open. Right. So, so maybe they'll weather the storm and they'll reopen whenever they can reopen. And maybe it'll be the same. Hopefully. <laughs> and it's hopefully by that, yeah, by the time they're able to reopen, the whole uh, Diamond will be back in business and hopefully yeah. to be able to distribute. But I think they're even they're having issues with their cash flow now and just making payments to vendors, I believe. Oh, I so they're, it's just a bad situation right now for them. So yeah. I think the comic book industry just might be forever changed for this. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if we're that much closer to the all digital route pretty soon which is going to be strange, but I don't know. It might be coming sooner than we think, which is going to be a shame if there's no more comic book shops. So, but hopefully that won't be the case, at least not for a long time. You know what, Tim, can I, uh, you know, I got laid off, um, unfortunately, and I've had a bunch of time on my hands (laughs) and I, watched for the first time for the very first time tim in its entirety i watched the fellowship of the ring i'm almost done with not just the fellowship of the ring which version was it dane the extended almost four hour cut yes (laughs) or i like to call it the definitive version so (laughs) version so i will review that for our review section nice Okay. How does that? Okay. Because so, I'm curious. I know you texted me yesterday that you're watching. I was so happy. <laughs> and yeah. I was going to ask you about it. So I guess we'll save that for the final review. Because I'll go. We'll go ahead and move into our review section. Because I got speaking sure. of co- digital comics, actually going to be reviewing the first issue of Batman: The Adventures Continue, which is the continuation of Batman: The Animated Series. So I'll go ahead and do a quick review of that. But of course, we got to have a rating scale for this one. So I was thinking, we'll see if I get this worded right, but times that Tim and Dane were had mistaken identities or used different names, <laughs> something to that effect. That sounds good. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure I'll say it differently when I get the actual review score, but something in that vein. So Batman, The Adventures Continued. I was actually, I forgot it came out 
this soon. <laughs> I mean, I think the article when I first read it, maybe it might have been talking about the physical copy being sometime in May, but it's going to be a digital first series. So this is why it's coming out digitally anyway. That was always the plan. But needless to say, I was excited to read this first issue. Continuation of the Batman, the animated series continuity being written by Paul Dini and Alan Burnett, obviously two of the producers of the animated series. So, you know, I mean, you don't want anyone else writing it (laughs) really when you're talking about in the Batman, the animated series continuity, but also art by um, Ty Templeton, who has done the old uh, Batman animated series comics back in the day. So right off the bat, I'll just talk about the art. I haven't read every issue of those new of those Batman Adventures comics, but I just it's been a while since I've read the ones that I do have. But I just forgot how perfectly Ty Templeton's art captures that Bruce Tim animated series style. Just the first few pages right off this issue just really brought that home and just throughout the entire issue, just how he nails that obviously stylized look of the animated series and it's going off the new batman adventures so the 1997 series of that look and you know i'm a big fan of that style and he just captures it beautifully so right off the bat the art is fantastic but um the story by alan burnett and paul dini i mean it really felt like i was obviously not watching but getting a new batman the animated series story their way they written bruce and his dialogue interactions with alfred and Lex Luthor is in this issue. It really just felt like that wit and dialogue that I knew and love about the animated series and the conversations that Bruce would have with certain people. In this case with Lex and Alfred are the main ones he talks to. And also Veronica Freeland in here too. So it just, everything's coming together really nicely and I couldn't be happier about that. So, um, and the story wise, it's setting things up for a little bit of a mystery uh, it begins with a quick battle sequence with Batman taking down Bane. And um, it was a quick fight sequence as he had stuff planned to take him down. I think he says like a half hour before they even fought, which is a cool scene. Always seeing Batman plan ahead. But then he realizes Gotham is being attacked by this gigantic robot. So Batman tracks it down um, to this laboratory and it steals this uh, this safe or this vault that has um, some, some Kryptonian technology in there. It's related to Superman, as Batman reveals telling Alfred in the Batcave. But once um, Batman meets Lex at this uh, dinner or this function, uh, it gets revealed that Superman has been missing for a few days. And that is Batman confirms that. So um, Batman goes to investigate the location of where this robot is. Um, he goes to this abandoned hangar, um, which he knows has been used, being used recently by criminals to store certain items and he is able to find that missing vault that was there that that gigantic robot stole and then when he was talking to lex at that party lex knew about that and was saying how well as much as i hate superman he does come in handy when we get these gigantic enemies like a giant robot wrecking over the area. he does come in handy to stop it it's kind of making a point that batman can't handle it and there were some nice references to the batman superman team up world finest episodes um that is just amazing and so i did like how they were referencing to certain moments there which was cool so batman is finds where that robot is being stored and he's able to find uh that vault but before he's able to open it batman gets attacked by lex luthor in his um mech his mech suit or his power suit making it look like he might be behind all this but 
I think it's probably going to be something that he was investigating the whereabouts of that vault too when he's just meeting Batman there. So we'll see what happens. That's where the issue ends on. So just setting the story up. But another cool aspect of it was what I'm really excited about this series is how they said how they're going to be introducing Jason Todd into this continuity. And we just got this one-page sequence that was just a little tease. It doesn't even say it's Jason, but I know it's him. You see this a monologue about someone saying, there he goes, Batman versus a robot. I forgot how much fun Gotham can be. And we just, just get this one panel of this figure. The top of his face is hiding in shadows, but you could just tell right away it's going to be Jason Todd. And it's an older version. So uh, I believe they said they're doing the Red Hood. So even in this short little panel that we get of him, it does look like he can already be in his Red Hood outfit, minus the mask. <laughs> but I love how they're just set, planting the seeds already for Jason to make his animated series debut. So I was really happy with this issue. Like I said, the art was fantastic. Copying or getting the style of the animated series. Paul Dini and Alan Burnett not missing a beat as far as writing a Batman the Animated Series story with their dialogue with Bruce, with Alfred, Veronica Vreeland, and Lex Luthor, and setting up this mystery about um, where Superman is, who's behind this giant robot, and what's in that vault. So um, I can't wait for more. So I'm going to give it a solid four out of five times that Dane and Tim had a mistaken identity or their names changed. <laughs> so now that I raved about Ninja Turtles, Batman the Animated Series, the adventure continues, and now I'm excited to hear what Dane thought of The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring extended cut, which I always go back and forth on what's my second favorite movie after Star Wars. The Dark Knight and The Fellowship of the Ring, they go, every time I watch it, it goes, that was my favorite. Oh, that was my favorite. But regardless of where I rank them, those are two movies I hold in very, very high regard. And The Fellowship of the Ring is my favorite of the trilogy, so... Dane, what did you think of the extended edition? Okay, so first off, I'm probably going to get some names wrong. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to help. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And some places and, you know, uh, in general, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not as versed as you are in uh, the, or as other people are in L- the Lord of the Rings. I did see the movies when they came out, but I wasn't really a fan of them. Um, so the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, the extended cut, uh, it starts off extremely slow. Uh, you know, I kind of... I mean, if if I didn't know what this movie is was about, I kind of wouldn't have an idea of where it was going. Mm-hmm. Because... You know, when they're in, um, is it the Shire? Uh-huh. That, that's what it's called. It's yeah, the home of the hobbits, right? The home of the hobbits, right. It's it's kind of like, okay, so here's daily life. Um, this old man is writing his memoirs. <laughs> that old man being Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> right, right. And then uh, this other old man shows up, and then there's Elijah Wood, right? Um, and then they have this weird birthday party. Uh, this guy is 111, and there's the fireworks show, and you know, I get, it's it, it got kind of boring to me, um, just because you know I'm not familiar with 
anything that's going on. Um, Man, you should, if that's the case, I would love to hear your reaction yeah. reading the books for the first time because that all that Shire <laughs> stuff goes on forever. <laughs> for a long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I just kind of didn't know where it was Way going. Way longer than the movie. And then, you know, the ring is introduced and, it, you know, Bilbo is, you know, addicted to this ring. This ring has some kind of power over him. Gandalf is kind of like, oh, you know, you should probably not have that ring anymore. And so, yeah, it's just through all of that, it was just kind of like going on and on and on and on and on. And it wasn't until... Um, now, you see, I forget what it's called. Is it Riverwood? Riverdale? Riverdale? Yeah. Is that where Kate uh, Blanchett lives? Um, no, she lives in um, Mirkwood. I believe right. The tree no, uh, Lothlorien. Lothlorien is where uh, the Blanchett's character Galadriel is. Yeah, I have no idea what that place is called. I don't <laughs> think they say it in the movie. Um, but it wasn't until after that, when they're on the boats, is when I st- really started getting into the story. I mean, that's not the, the, pretty much the very end. <laughs> well, there's still like an hour and a half left, so. <laughs> so. <laughs> So yeah, it's still a movie. <laughs> There's still a whole movie ahead. Uh, yeah, it wasn't until after that that I, I started to really get into the story. Um, so even like you know, their battle uh, in the mines of Moria, that did nothing for you? That was good. That okay. was so good. see, that happens before it, though. Yeah, yeah, th- that was good. And then it kind of dropped. And I, I yeah, so... Just beginning that scene. I really like how, you know, uh, Christopher Lee. Uh, Saruman. S- Saruman. S- Saruman. Is that what it's, his name yeah. is? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. I know it could, it's, it's similar to Sauron, so yeah, <laughs> I could Sauron. understand if you get those two names mixed up a bit. Um, I really like how you, he was messing with the, the fellowship when they were trying to go up that that mountain yeah the mountainside and he was commanding that blizzard to rain down on them i don't know what the mm. correct term is but and then they have to go through that that uh that maze or whatever or the that mine. that that mine right mm. and first off i i like how they're just waiting around because gandalf can't figure out how to yeah <laughs> i remember the password open the door there's <laughs> just the dwarvish Dwarf it, dwarvish word for friend, right? Actually, I have an elvish word for friend. Elvish word for friend. Yeah. I like how they go in there, and then I, I really, really like the scene where uh, is it Pippin or Mary is holding uh, Gandalf's hat and his staff, yeah. uh, and then Gandalf is going on and on. He's reading the. The, the last message from the dwarves and then he kind of like messes with uh with uh like this dead body and then makes the head drop and then the entire yeah. body with the chain and the, the bucket to drop down the well and then they get attacked by the war. I, I really like that 
and then you know there's a big chase sequence and they're killing uh trolls is it forks and goblins right and there's that big troll thing and uh what what's the name of the uh that big demon thing at the end the balrog balrog that thing looks extremely extremely cool that yes. that thing looks really cool that blew me away seeing that for the first time yeah and the uh, theater, like wow of course gandalf doesn't make it because of the whip he could have easily climbed up right i don't know <laughs> i think you could probably debate that with all his power and wizardry that yeah. he has it could maybe done something but he probably think that's part of his destiny yeah so i i guess but yeah i like the entire scene that entire scene was was really yeah. really good um but yeah it didn't get into the story until really after they leave lothlorien you got it <laughs> oh you see i got it you're, you're learning leave, already yeah after they leave lothlorien they're on the boats and they get attacked by the the orcs the I forget their name. The Urukai. Urukai, right. Because they're right. like a special breed of orcs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't get into the story until they um, they get attacked. And then uh, Boromir, I got it. Tim. You got, got it. it. <laughs> uh, is, uh, tries to take the ring and then tries to defend the other two hobbits and then gets killed by that leader Ur- Urukai. I, I, I think Sean Bean is one of the highlights of that of, of Fellowship great, of the yeah. Ring. He doesn't get as much respect because he dies <laughs> really early on. But yeah, it's such trilogy. a great performance, man. Especially in yeah. that death scene. Yeah, um, I, he doesn't get enough credit. I thought he was the best part of this movie, uh, besides uh, uh, Ian McKellen. Uh, The the thing I noticed, and I haven't completed the two towers yet. I'm still like at like two hours. I still have like two hours left mm-hmm. of the two yeah, towers. Each, each movie, the extended editions are longer and longer. So yeah, Return of the King is definitely over four hours. <laughs> yeah, the, this one is um, close to four hours. So uh, the, the one thing I did notice is I don't think I like Viggo Mortensen in, in this in this trilogy. Really? Yeah. It's just some of the delivery of his lines. It's it's so cheesy, and I don't know if he was told that, like, like how, um, you know, that that's the biggest criticism of the prequel, the Star Wars prequel, prequel trilogy, is that some of the dialogue is just awful and it's delivered terribly. Okay, you gotta um, give me an example of one of Viggo Mortensen's lines that you felt that way about. You see, I'm trying to remember uh, when when they meet Gandalf in the forest when okay. he's the white Gandalf. Uh-huh. Um, and then Viggo Morton says, says something like, oh, you haven't changed your old ways or something. So, something to that effect where y- you still speak in riddles or something. Okay. Mm. But that was extremely <laughs> stilted. That was awful. Uh, yeah, that, that was just bad. Um, and you know, I I just don't like the character. I just can't get into the character where he's like, 
you know, the king of the world, <laughs> essentially, but he doesn't want it. I, I, I just, uh, it's just so corny. I, I know Lord of the Rings is the, 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 the original thing of fantasy, right? This high fantasy concept. And I know I should give him more credit. And I should be like, oh, no, but that, that was the old stuff. That, that was the, the original stuff, you know? But I just can't get into it. I just can't do it. It's, it's just Aragorn or Strider or whatever you call him. Is, <laughs> it's Aragorn, yes. Aragorn, it, son it, of Aragorn. It's just so corny and cheesy. I, I, I love wow. Viggo Mortensen. I think he's a great actor. But I think it's it's the prequel trilogy curse, I guess you could say, where you know, you're told to say lines in a certain way with a certain set of words and it just doesn't come across good and yeah i just can't get into the character uh it's it's just like that the king of the world he doesn't want it uh he's in love with this person that who could never love him back who's this eternal being um yeah it just gets cheesy and i just cannot get into it i i don't know what the the consensus is on his character for Lord of the Rings fans, but I just can cannot get into his character. Well, a lot of the criticisms you could have had for the movie. I was not expecting that because <laughs> I really like Aragorn in the movies, but that that surprises me, Dan. I got to be honest. Yeah, I mean that's my one criticism of, or one of my criticisms of. I guess the trilogy, I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure if it gets better. Um, See, my biggest criticism kind of at the end with Return of the King is that Frodo and Sam, some of their dialogue could get a little cheesy or over-the-top dramatic in some in some ways, in some uh, bits of dialogue that they say. But other than that, doesn't take away from it. But that's like some of the stuff in Return of the Kings was some, maybe a little over-dramatic in certain, the way they were talking to each other and certain things. But yeah, I'm sure. Never felt I'm that sure. way about Aragorn. <laughs> yeah, it's just so stilted, and it's. Uh, I, I'm sure they're they're quoting the book directly, right? A lot With of the times, yes. Mm, yeah. And it's it just does not work in a 1999, 2000, or 2020 <laughs> viewing of the film. You know, it's it was. A product of its time, I guess you could say, uh, back before. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I can't I don't remember know, exactly. It feels pretty timeless to me. <laughs> uh, but speaking of timelessness, the special effects, at least in Fellowship of the Ring and part of the Two Towers, is really, really good. It holds up yeah. really, really well. It's it's like the 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 original trilogy Star Wars original trilogy. It holds up really really well. Um, you can kind of tell when they do the CGI and stuff. Um, the when Kate uh, Blanchett's character freaks out when she sees the ring and yeah. she's like, "Oh, well, I will rule over Middle Earth and be its beautiful queen." That didn't look very good, <laughs> but 
<laughs> but other than that, um, yeah, it, it holds up really, really well. Uh, uh, I really like the production design, specifically the Balrog and the um, and Sauron when he in the beginning when he yeah uh, he has such a cool person. design yeah, he looks really really cool the the helmet i really like the helmet yeah um by the way i don't know if this was a thing in the book or if people noticed this but gandalf should have known that um saruman was evil he just had to look at the tower the top of the tower <laughs> It's it's in the shape of the Sauron crown. Yeah, that's that's anyway. I never really thought about that. I'm not yeah, sure if it has as many down. like spikes as the crown did, but now you mentioned yeah. it, it's kind of that shape. Yeah, and it's yeah, not it's a very welcoming same. tower. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look very pleasant. Um, but yeah, that's what I noticed uh, when Gandalf jumps off and rides on that big moth or whatever. That's what I noticed. That uh, he uh, the, the tower looks like Sauron's crown, and I just thought that was. Yeah, I never picked up yeah, on that. Should have known. Just look up. You know <laughs> <what> I <mean? laughs> Maybe I shouldn't go in there. Uh, the fight between Sauron, I mean Saruman and Gandalf, was really, really cool. Even though you can't see any. I don't know, lightning bolts or fireballs <laughs> or whatever. I, I thought it was like really well done. And the music in that scene was really good. Um, Just the music in general for that movie. It's one of the best scores. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. That's why they used it for Man- the Man of Steel <laughs> teaser trailer. <laughs> Did they? Yeah. Man, I don't remember that. Yeah, the scene where uh, after Gandalf falls and uh-huh. they're all crying on the rocks. Yeah. Yeah, that song was in the the teaser trailer for. Man, I know. I have to go watch yeah. that again just to see how because I don't do not remember that. But it's like it's a great piece, so <laughs> I'm not surprised yeah. that they would use it. So it's Warner Brothers, so makes sense. But I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah. And there's Jonathan Kent or um, Jor-El talking over uh, that music. I'm surprised you don't remember it, Tim. I know. You think I would <laughs> or something like that. Because I remember it. I was <laughs> like, where do I know that song from? Oh, right. The Man of Steel uh, teaser trailer. Totally forgot. But um, yeah, uh, I, I think the production design, and I hope, I didn't look, but I hope they won a bunch of Oscars for all oh, three it movies. Did. Uh, I know Return of the King swept it, but I know Fellowship won its good share, too. Yeah, or at least the production design because it is really, really good. Uh, still holds up, doesn't look bad, doesn't look terrible. Like, you know, you were talking about the Ninja Turtles movies and uh, they they do not look, they didn't age well. The, the animatronic heads and stuff did not age well. But Well, the sequel ones, I think the first ones obviously still hold up pretty well. Sure. Um, but yeah, the production design is really Good. I really like the look of the the Urukai. Um, pretty much all the evil stuff looks yeah. really, really cool. <laughs> I I really like all the evil looking things in uh, Lord of the Rings. They they're just designed really really well. Um, so you'd be a servant of Sauron, Dame. That's what it comes I would. to. <laughs> also be a Sith. 
<laughs> I really like the the red lightsaber and all the armor and stuff. Um, but yeah, the production design is it holds up extremely well. Um, the CGI holds up really well. The Balrog looks really good, um, and especially like a big thing like that, or like a big beast or a big devil devilish thing, you, you can kind of give it credit if it doesn't age really well but it ages really really well and uh lord yeah. of it. so they they did a really good job uh i know people don't really like the ending of fellowship of the ring but i i really like the ending um i haven't heard that too much but <laughs> i just oh, really? kind of expect it to end on a cliffhanger so technically well, it actually because it was so short yeah it, it was so like cut off like oh yeah we're I done. Think the big like that issue people have is more with the second Hobbit movie, The Desolation of Smog, where it kind of abruptly ends. <laughs> or, just, oh, that's where it's ending on. At least with Fellowship, you can get kind of, you could tell it's progressively moving towards the end of the movie, where you get to that moment with Frodo and Sam, you're like, okay, this is where it's ending things on. Yeah, but I, I really like the uh, the ending of, well, Boromir, Sean Bean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I really like this character. Too bad he's dead and we'll never see him again. But it's Sean Bean. He has to die, of course. So he's playing yeah. Warmer. <laughs> the yeah, one character who dies of the fellowship. <laughs> Just like uh, Game of Thrones, I I really liked him as Ned Stark. Uh, it's too bad he uh, he dies in the first season, and there were seven know, first more season, <laughs> first movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I. I really like the Fellowship of the Ring. It starts off extremely slow. I had a hard time getting through it. Um, Glad you did though. <laughs> yeah, but it really picks up after the um, after they essentially they get to that that first elf place they go to, where uh, Liv Tyler is. Her name, don't tell me. <sighs> Dang it! I had it, but I lost it. <laughs> Uh, an A. Arwen. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Arrow. Because yeah, it's kind of spelled that way a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Arwen. See, I got it, Tim. Uh, essentially, after they uh, they get past that part, it's pretty much all downhill after that. It's all cool. It's all good. You mean uphill? Um, uphill. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Um, as for the two towers, I haven't made it through the entire movie yet. Uh, they're beginning the, uh, they, they met Gandalf and, um, they're beginning the fight in, uh, Elm Cousin Deep. Doom. Because yeah, Helm, what, what was Helm's, Deep, Helm's Deep is the big battle of the two towers at the oh. end. Okay. Um, Kazakh Doom is... Kazakh Doom is actually... The bridge of Kazakh Doom is in the Fellowship where Gandalf fights the Balrog. It's a bridge. But that's in the Fellowship, though. Yeah. But it's a bridge? Kazakh yeah. Doom is a bridge? Uh, yeah, it's not the like bridge a of city? No. <laughs> oh. Well, I got that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I'm they're, they're starting to begin the preparations for uh, 
the big battle. Big battle. Yeah. So so I'm not sure if I'm at the end of the movie yet. Uh, because the I think I still have like an hour and forty five minutes left. It, it's a long battle, so you oh, got a good portion. Okay. Left. It's a great battle, though. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So so you y- you have to explain something to me, Tim. How does Gandalf become the White Gandalf? Well, he's pretty much kind of like a spirit. Um, that's inhabiting like that took the form of a human body. So once he so he died by the Balrog and Saruman, the White turned evil. They needed someone new to be the White Wizard, and so Gandalf took on that role as when he got this new human form. So he's almost kind of like a new being, but he still has his memories of Gandalf the Grey. So it's kind of like his spirit or essence took a new form for for the human realm, so to speak. Okay. Yeah, I kind of see that. He, uh, uh, another example of uh, Viggo Mortensen being all stilted and stuff <laughs> is when <laughs> is when he's talking to Frodo about Arwen in the campsite. Mm. <laughs> I thought that was like, yeah. Okay. Okay, Vigo. <laughs> Man, I, I know you. You're probably going to have some issues with Return of the King then if you just do not like his character's story and Uh-oh. journey and his acting. So. <laughs> I assume he returns. Hence the title. Yeah, you can yeah. make that assumption. <laughs> <laughs> but Andy Serkis, man. Oh, what a role for him. Oh, yeah. He is the best part of that second movie. I'll tell you that. He, uh, especially when he's talking to himself. Or mm-hmm. Gollum is talk- or Schmeagol is talking to himself. He's talking to his good side and his evil side, and he finally beats his evil side. I thought that was really well done, and it's like two, two different characters. I thought it was really well, well done. Yeah, I mean, he should have got. I know they're really pushing for it. They're should have got an Oscar nomination for that. Yeah, yeah, he should have. Why didn't he? Because yeah, of the whole digital whole... thing. Yeah. Especially back then, when it was so yeah. new still. Academy wasn't giving it its due. That sucks. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I really like The Lord of the Rings. Um, it's it's really, really good. You've converted me, I guess. <laughs> I am glad to hear that, yes. So, what would you give the Fellowship of the Rings in it? Hmm. I'm going to give it a four out of five times, Dane. Uh, and Tim got mistaken for other people or took different names. I really like it. There's some problems with it, especially the beginning. Maybe it's because it's the extended cut. It starts off really, really slow. Um, but after that, it's it's all uphill, like you say. Like you corrected me. <laughs> it's it's all, it's all good stuff after that. Um, Two Towers, I didn't really have that problem where it starts off really slow. Um, they just jump you right right immediately into the story like you're watching a Star Wars movie. I, I, I think the Two Towers is better than the Fellowship of the Ring so far. I'm not sure, but I, I think the Two Towers is better. Interesting. Yeah. Fellowship was always going to be my favorite, but Two Towers, it's not that far behind, I'll say that. <laughs> it is great. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to see this big battle scene. I want to see what's what's going on there. Oh, I love that battle sequence. Yeah. yeah, it's really cool. 
I just love how it builds. Like the, you could feel the tension building between all the human characters waiting for the Rick guy to show up and just, they know it's going to be a bloody battle and they just sense that tension. And then it just builds to this big old cool action sequence. So it's really great. So why was Saruman kind of messing with Rohan? That's what I don't understand. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly. I know he gives the reasoning when he's, Talking about why they attacked the village of Rohan, I forget exactly what he says. I there. think it's strategic. Is is it like a strategic? It advantage? might be. Yeah, yeah. So maybe thwart off um, Aragorn and the Fellowship to going straight to him and um, Sauron's place. <laughs> See, now I feel like a bad fan for not remembering exactly the reason, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I think that was it to discourage him, uh, uh, Aragorn and all those guys to head straight to, to not go to Rohan. I think that was it. Probably, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rohan is the, the, the best place to live is the place I would live in, uh, the Lord of the Rings. Really? Even over the Shire or I like yeah. Rivendell where the elves are at. I really like that location. Uh, it's too cliffy for me. Afraid <laughs> you might fall off. <laughs> yeah. It's a wide open plain. You know, you can see everything. It's windswept. <laughs> I really yeah, like that aesthetic. True. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I, I really like the um, the Lord of the Rings. It's, it's They're really good movies so far. I, I know people don't really like, or people think that... Um, uh, Return of the King is the weakest of the movies, but uh, it's actually kind of, kind of regarded as the high, the best one for most people. It's, it's actually my really? least favorite. I love all of them, but out of the three, it's my least. But I know a lot of people love mm-hmm. it and think it's the best. So it kind of depends on what you yeah. what you're looking for in it, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but then again, nobody really liked Jedi Return of the Jedi um, or you know Rise of Skywalker. So. Uh, that's just opinions. Seen. So you're just gonna yeah. get a different one every time, <laughs> no matter who yeah. you are. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. I'm glad you're. I I like it. Then. I'm glad you're watching the extended edition because that's where the full experience is. So, I'll look forward to hearing your thoughts on the rest of Two Towers and then Return of the King. I don't think you can buy the the regular versions anymore. Really? I'm not sure. Because I know those are the ones that are kind of marketed most, because those are the ones that like the definitive, yeah. But and the extended editions are for the diehard Lord of the Rings fans. So I'm pretty sure I haven't really looked, obviously, but I want to say you can probably get them still. Oh yeah, you can. Just um, the Fellowship, though. Mm, that's kind of weird. At, at least on. Um... On iTunes, yeah, you can only get the uh, Fellowship of the Ring. That seems strange. I wonder why that is. <laughs> why yeah. just have one of that? The other two to complete the story. Okay, let me see. Um, yeah, that just want to make sense to me. Got the Fellowship oh, never of the mind. Ring. You can. You, okay. you, you can. Yeah. The entire trilogy. That's good. <laughs> yeah. 
even though Fellowship is the best, and he, if you're going to be able to sell one, that would be the one yeah. to sell. I wouldn't see why you would have the other two. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I like the movies. I I think they're good fantasy. Um, oh yeah, makes it's me want to believe- makes me want to see that uh, Tolkien movie. Yeah, what is that called? Tolkien. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I enjoyed that. It was good. Yeah, I'm sure there were some aspects of it to it that weren't factually right as all you know biopics are but i enjoyed it i think they got most of what he went through in his life for the most part it was interesting to see how it all came to inspire him to write lord of the rings so i enjoyed it yeah i wonder what the the balrog is like it's real world analog is <laughs> like, what is i think that? they go into that like part of his world war one experience of how the battle kind of shaped a lot of the battles Oh. In Lord of the Rings, so I kind of go into that a little bit there. Oh, I see. But anyway, yeah, I am a fan. I like the movies. Glad to hear it. And it's next year is going to be the 20th anniversary of Lord of the Rings. And we're talking about big milestones for next year. That's another big one. 20 years for that, which is wow, hard to believe, too, because you said it still holds up and feels timeless where it could easily yeah. have come out today. I know, right? <laughs> it's, uh, we're old, Tim. Yep, we're old. Sad to say. <laughs> yeah. 30 year anniversary, 20 year anniversary. Pretty soon it's going to be the 50th anniversary Jeez. for Lord 50, of the Rings. <laughs> 50 is next for Star Wars, man. 2027. Well, at least it's not the 50th anniversary of the sequel trilogy. <laughs> no, I mean, I well, might be dead by that point. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get that far out of ourselves. Yeah. But yeah, glad to see you're on board Lord of the Rings fandom now. And pretty soon you might not even be needing to ask me questions anymore. You just be heavily into it. You'll know all the answers already. <laughs> yeah, because before, before I thought it was just a big convoluted mess, especially when you take into the consideration of those Hobbit movies. But, you know, I kind of get the sense of the movie. Destroy the Ring. Um, but there's going to be a lot of adventures in between. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of great characters. Yeah. Sure. Um, Faramir is Boromir's brother. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And you'll be get, getting to meet their father pretty soon. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he's not very nice. No. <laughs> Spoiler yeah. alert, he's not. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, Boromir wanted to steal the ring, right? Yeah, but that was kind of the ring corrupting and tempting him. Deep down, Boromir is really a really good guy, oh. which you'll see more. There's a flashback sequence of the two towers that wasn't in the oh, theatrical really? cut, but as an extended edition, um, seeing that was really good. Sean Bean comes back? Uh-huh, yeah. Oh, that's good. Well, at least they didn't get another actor to replace him. Well, they yeah. shot him all back to back, so I was probably just part oh, of yeah. the schedule. <laughs> yeah, he was there. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Yeah, so awesome. Great conversations on Turtles, Lord of the Rings, the Batman comics. So there's still good stuff out there to enjoy amongst all this craziness. <laughs> Some older yeah. stuff, but always great to revisit the classics. So. Yeah, cool. Well, I guess that'll do it for this episode. And as always, I'll throw it to you, Dane, for the outro. All right, just go over to batmanuniverse.net. 
facebook.com slash batmanuniverse the and the twitter handles at batmanuniverse the show's twitter handles at batfanspodcast um tim's twitter handles at timg311 and my twitter handles at dane says banana uh rate and reviews on itunes and you can email the show at batfans at pants at gmail.com so with that like we say at the end of every single episode tim we love each and every one of you with all of our turtle and hobbit hearts at 30 <laughs> and soon to be 20 years old yeah. <laughs> all right we'll we'll stay safe everybody and we'll yep. see you guys next time see you next time everybody Yeah.